and welcome back to Overdressed and Underqualified, the podcast where we talk about first job stuff. Today, we're actually going to do something a little different. We had an episode way back in November or October of last year where we interviewed Tiffany Souter, the CEO of Element 3 in Indianapolis. In the interview with Tiffany, we talked about her struggles in running her business during the first recession in 2008 and 2009. Because of the current circumstances of our city and our world, I thought it might be a nice little change to hear from somebody who has gone through a tough financial point in running their business. We don't have all the answers, but hopefully hearing Tiffany talk about her experience gives you a little bit of comfort in these strange times. We've snipped this episode to truly meet the needs of what we are trying to portray, but if you are interested in listening to the entire interview, you can of course listen on iTunes at Apple Podcasts. Tiffany grew up in a house where business was a main topic of discussion. Her dad was a self-made entrepreneur and always felt it important to expose his kids to the business world early on. She grew up learning about opportunity costs and creating leverage, and eventually she got her degree in finance at Purdue. So I, I grew up in a house of like workers, like we had jobs all the way through high school, and it wasn't necessarily because financially I had to. It was that my parents really cared a lot about us developing a strong work ethic. So in college, I, I, I worked my whole sophomore, junior, and senior year through college, and then summers I would work too. So before my senior year of college, I interned at Lilly, which was a big, like I'm a small town girl, grew up in the country. Uh, Indianapolis was the, the great big city in my world. And so the idea of getting an internship at like a, a big publicly traded company like that was a real dream come true for me. So I interned at Lilly and basically like if you did a good job, you got an offer at the end of it. So going into my senior year, I got an offer from Lilly and was really pumped about that. Being in a business environment, being in this great big company, I knew that if you did well, that there was a lot of opportunity there. And so that was a really, at that time, a really invigorating environment for me. During her time at Lilly, she was in the finance department and worked in a manufacturing plant. Her job essentially was to figure out things like how much did it cost for them to make one pill or one unit of a product. And from this job, she gained incredibly useful skills. If you can look at historical information in anything in your life, it could be finance and that job was go look at historically how has everything performed, what's happened in the past. And when things went well, let's look at why did things go well. When things went really poorly, why did things mm-hmm. go poorly? And then your job was basically to figure out, well, what what do I think is the most likely thing to happen in the next 12 months? And you were doing that from a financial perspective, but you were basically planning and making assumptions like, I think we're going to have this much factory loss because Mm -hmm. in the past, the machines have broken 12 times a year, but we've increased our maintenance program. So I'm going to assume it's only going to break eight times a year. And so that's going to have this financial impact. Tiffany was at Lilly for about two and a half years before she made a career switch. What prompted the change was Lilly went through an SAP implementation, which essentially meant they were ripping out all the old systems that ran manufacturing and putting new ones in. 
It was a massive project that took over a decade to complete. And at the same time, half of her plant was shut down. People who had worked there for 30 to 40 years were laid off. And watching the planning of that take place really shook her. But what I realized was that there's inside a huge company like that, while there's a ton of opportunity, it takes a really long time for it to happen. Oh, yeah. And growing up in just a real entrepreneurial environment at home, I was like, oh, my word, I'm going to be like 104 before I make a decision that matters at all. And I've since learned I'm very motivated by significance in my life and in my days. It's really important to me. And so I suddenly felt like really like there was an elephant standing on my chest. Like I was like, I can't breathe. I, I, I'm, I'm going to just like be invisible forever. When she left Lily, she didn't know exactly what she was going to do next, but she worked in a small business of her dad's for about a year, and then she met the previous owners of Element 3. At the time, she had read the book The E-Myth, which essentially talks about people who are good practitioners at their trade or art, but have no idea how to run a business. For example, I went to school for creative writing, so let's say I wrote a book, it did really well, and now I've got book tours and signings and I've got to pay an agent and all kinds of stuff that now makes me have an, an actual brand and business to worry about. But the problem is I have no clue how to manage it. Anyway, I, I met these people and they're amazing, but they were burnt out on the business side and me being, I don't know, like 24 and a half. I don't think I'm exaggerating. I think that's what I was. <laughs> I was like, you know, I think I could run the business for you. I don't really know much about marketing or about your disciplines, but it's probably helpful for you that I don't because I'll just stay out of your way. And so that's what we did. My dad and I bought the company for like $30,000. It was that's insane. a very tiny amount. And yeah, so that was kind of day one. In the beginning, Tiffany admits she didn't have her own compass on how to run the business. She acted on a lot of input from people who'd been marketing longer and was very passive in her decisions. A little while later, though, she took steps towards educating herself about the business she was running. She hired a mentor, Marcia Stone, who was at one point the North American creative director of Bates Worldwide. A pretty big deal. They met every single Friday in Broad Ripple, and Tiffany asked her questions ranging from marketing vocabulary, like what does Pantone mean, to opinions on competitors in the marketplace. And not only did she gain priceless knowledge from these mentor meetings, but Marsha ended up working with Tiffany at Element 3 for about seven years afterwards, helping her understand the business from the inside. For a while, Tiffany was coasting. She was learning. Her company was growing. And then they smashed right into the recession. We laid off half of our staff. I had my first baby. My husband had just left his job and put a bunch of money from friends and family in the market. And it was a bloodbath. Um, personally and professionally, it was it was the toughest time we've been through. We were 29 years old. I don't know. We had a house. We were scared to death, scared to death. And I had this baby and I didn't know what to do with it. And I'm a really good mom, but I'm a really medium baby mom. It's sweet, but it's really hard for me. It's it's not a natural kind of moment for, yeah. my, for me as a person. So it was just really hard. I wanted to quit that whole time. And my dad kept saying, "It's the end is only the end if you let it be the end. And I wanted it to be the end so bad because it was so painful and I was so scared and we owed people money. And every day I walked in, there would be voice messages from people who were looking for money. I didn't, there was nobody buying marketing. We just moved into new office space that was way too much, way too expensive. When there's no work and everybody's scared, morale goes in the crapper. 
I was not skilled in knowing how to navigate that. It was just gross. It was really gross. At a loss for what to do and to help her business not collapse, she read a bunch of articles. She didn't realize it at the time. She was reading and downloading a lot of content from HubSpot. They called me probably because my lead score in their system was like 400. And I talked to this gal, her name was Danny Hertzberg. She was on their sales team at the time. And she was explaining to me what HubSpot could do. It was basically taking all these disparate systems because this was in like 2011, 10, uh, yeah, 2010. And at that time, email marketing and landing pages and your website and Google Analytics and lead nurturing, all of these were in different databases and different systems. And I was spending all this time in Excel trying to figure out attribution. Like, how does data connect to each other and using VLOOKUPs and all the stuff? And it was a mess. And she's like, basically, what HubSpot does is it takes all those systems and it works from a single database. And I was like, well, of course. And I, I said on the phone, I was like, does this do what you say it does? Like, just say it to right. me straight. Does this, does this do this, actually? And she's like, yeah, would you like to see a demo? I was like, I don't care about a demo. I need, like, on a human level, does this thing work? And she's like, yeah. I was like, great, I'm in. So without ever seeing a demo, without using it for the agency, and without ever looking inside of HubSpot, they signed up as an agency partner. For the next three years, she spent her time selling the crap out of inbound marketing as a strategy. But there was a period for about three years where inbound had a lot of arbitrage around it. And we rode that hard, and that gave us a shot to differentiate ourselves so that as we changed our services and our business, we I saw it coming, and so we were able to get in front of it, which is great. And for them, luckily, it worked. They went on to get out of the recession. They were able to put on conferences and make a true brand for themselves, as well as their customers, of course. But that wasn't without some very, very hard work and very stressful nights. But they got through it all because of the support that they had around them and the idea that nothing lasts forever. In asking Tiffany, finally, what her last piece of advice for those people who are struggling with fear, whether in starting their businesses, going through a tough financial time, or even just figuring out what to do next in their life, this is what she had to say. I would say when you go through moments of fear, make yourself write down what is the worst possible thing that could happen. And then say, could I, could I figure that out? Because I think oftentimes the monsters in our brain or the monsters that our brain creates are much scarier than any reality that we can talk down. When I learned that, it completely changed what I believed I could do because I was scared of so much less. And as you start to have life experiences, you start to be scared of fewer things because you can see you can get through stuff. But I remember when I was in the toughest years of Element 3, and I'm like, what is the worst thing that happens? The worst thing that happened was that my husband and I lost our house. And the other worst thing that happened was that my dad had signed a personal guarantee to the bank to the uh, for our lease. So we had signed a seven-year lease, and it was $750,000. And our lease payment was, I want to say like $8,000 a month. So I basically went and did the math of like, okay, if we lost our house, where we would where we would go where would we go live? We would probably live in my parents' basement or my husband's parents' basement. If I could show them to you, they're both beautiful places. It's it's really, it's kind of embarrassing, but really it would not it would be fine. My baby would have a bed. I would probably have meals cooked for me, and it, it really was not that bad. I'm like it would be embarrassing to lose my house, but it doesn't end me. I just live with my parents again. 
we'll get back on our feet. Husband and I are both college educated. And the second thing was the $750,000. And I basically did the math of how much money I would need to make for the next 20 years of my life to pay that back to my dad. And it was doable. And I was like, okay. The worst thing that happens is that this is a this is a huge life experience and I pay my dad back for this because I felt like I needed to and I can do that in my lifetime. And that's not what happened, but I, I stared it down. I'm like, it's I'm not gonna die. I'm not gonna die. And it doesn't change the fact that that piece of paper is already signed. I can't go back and change that. And I can pay him back. And there's a lot of things I will not be able to do, but it doesn't kill me. And I was like, okay, then that's the worst thing that can happen. And then I wasn't afraid of it anymore. So in the moments of, that, I, that, I'm, that I allow fear to creep in, that's how I chase it away. And as you guys are trying to figure out what's next, what do I want to do with my lives, and all the roads of opportunity in front of you, the ones that look fun but look scary, talk down the fear and walk through it. Thank you all for listening to this redone episode of Overdressed and Underqualified. Again, we don't assume to have all the answers, and we know that there are a lot more things in this current state of the world that people are worried about, but we hope that our small bit of contribution to your distraction has maybe helped. If you have more people that you'd like to hear from, feel free to shoot us an email at or iTunes at orfellowship.org. Remember for or, there are two R's. Thank you again, and we will hope to see you again next month when we hear from Ashley Brooks, an influential member in the food industry of Indianapolis. Today's credit for music goes to Anaconda Snake Hunter by Pistol Jazz. Do Blue Dot Sessions with Spunk Lit, Kilo Bot with Rosalie, Eddie All the Way Up, and Mont Placier, a good start.